If you've been looking for inspiration, hope, and an insightful look into literacy transformation, you have found the right place. This mini-series is a convergence of ideas, experiences, and aspirations, a symphony of voices that will resonate far beyond the sound waves of our voices. So, with hearts full of hope, minds open to possibility, let us dive into the rich tapestry of discussions, ideas, and dreams that await us. Together, as literacy leaders, let us be the change we wish to see in this world. Thank you for joining us on this remarkable journey towards a brighter future and a more literate society. Welcome, podcast family. This is Dr. Terry Nolan, and I am here during our podcast miniseries with my esteemed colleagues, friends, that we have been journeying through leadership together. I've got Dr. Tracy Whedon, Dr. Tim Odegaard, and Linda Diamond. We have been having amazing conversations with leaders that are leading large and leading well in this work. And we're getting to a moment that we are wrapping up our discoveries. We're wrapping up our thoughts and thinking about leadership, learning from people that are doing this work and hearing what they have to say. And today is all about what we learned in this journey, all about what we discovered and our reflections about that process. So we are diving right in today as we take this leap into reflection. And uh, the first thing that I want to start with and ask these dear colleagues and friends of mine is, what were some of the greatest takeaways from our esteemed guest that you had in your mind and it just kind of stuck to the inner parts of your being? So I'm going to start with Linda. Well, one of the takeaways that really struck me, and it was sort of a common thread, was the involvement of many stakeholders in the conversations that these leaders had. And particularly a comment that Dr. Robert Sally in Lodi mentioned, which was involving the teachers and the teachers union, which is really important in California and I'm sure in other states. So that really stuck with me because sometimes I think leaders get charged up about a change and they're really excited and they just sort of put it on folks without bringing them all together. And I think that was a common thread throughout many of these leaders. I would agree with you, Linda. I even remember Dr. Michelle Rodriguez when she talked about involving the community aspect of things, even the food bank. It was this true effort that brought people together involving all stakeholders. Let me go over to Tim and see if this resonates with him and any takeaways that he had. Yeah, it did. That actually came up in a couple of the probing framing questions that you asked. You know, I heard all of our guests highlighting that we need to build a bigger table. So when we think about having communion, having fellowship, having the time and space to think about a challenge on the scale that we're dealing with, I heard everybody asking about that. The other thing that I noticed too, not to be Debbie Downer here, but many of our guests highlighted the depletion of our human capital. 
by not sufficiently preparing and supporting teachers and administrators, we find ourselves in this national crisis without the resources we need to get ourselves out of this national crisis. Our guests highlighted that teachers and admins are leaving. I remember Art Cavasso talking about this. I remember Kareem talking about this. It's a real challenge that we face. It's not just the teachers who are leaving, it's also the administrators. I know that we had Stephanie Stoller on and she talked about the importance of higher ed. One of the things that we also have to acknowledge is that enrollment on average for all colleges and universities, including teacher preparation programs, is way, way, way down. So I think that we heard that in this point of constant conflict and dissent, I hear that there's a need to have those conversations, but what it does is it embroils us in flames. And people don't feel valued when they feel like they have to hop in a pressure cooker. And that they're always going to be under the microscope of, I thought you told me that I knew what I was supposed to do. And now you're telling me that we're not doing it right. So there needs to be a way to measure our voices in these positions where we have a microphone or a platform. And that's exactly what I heard all of our guests doing for the most part was measuring their voices. They're all impassioned. They're all doing their work, but they highlighted this need to create a space in which we draw people in with pull factors as opposed to pushing them away with push factors. Pam, you make me think of the statement, leadership comes with a microphone. And sometimes we have people in places of position, superintendents and administrators that sometimes don't like the microphone. But if you are going to step into that, you have to be fully aware that leadership comes with a microphone. And in the words of my dear friend, Tracy Whedon, she talks about bringing honor back to the profession of teaching. And I think we heard that from our guest. And so, Tracy, I'm going to hand this to you based off of what Linda and Tim have said and expound on that. Thanks, Terry. You know, the phrase that Arcavasso shared with us really resonated with me, and I've learned so much from him as a superintendent. I've worked with superintendents all over the country, but this is a unique leader. And he said, the change should outlive the leader. Now, there are two sides to that coin that really struck me. Unfortunately, there is change outliving leaders who did not have the courage to stand for what was best for children or who are narcissistic leaders. It's about them. It's about their name, their brand. It is not about the educators and protecting them from failing at their work and the children ensuring that they are literate for life. He is the exact antithesis of the narcissistic leader. He is the loving leader. And love is an action word. And I would call that the consistent theme I heard from these leaders in a village that includes, as Dr. Odegaard said, the upstream opportunity to apprentice teachers and leaders well so that they win at their work. Community members who help to deal with trauma because we can't ignore that part of the journey for our students and just making sure that we have a literacy safety net in place. Elsa Cardenas Hagen also represented the voice of our emergent bilingual students. She lived that, and now she is a change agent on her watch in Brownsville. The work continues, and it's been going on for the past 23 years, grassroots efforts. So I think about our parent who talked about 
or anger that is a driver, that righteous anger, I would say we we need that deep sense of urgency and energy because the stakes are so incredibly high. It literally changes or saves lives when we get this work right. So it was incredibly transformational for me to be reminded, stay vulnerable, stay real, stay authentic, and be a learner. I heard that over and over again. Educators are lifelong learners. We never arrive, right? We're always unpacking more of this implementation science and the implications, not staying stuck in our ivory towers of knowledge that are not reaching teachers and leaders. And that was a reminder to me to remain humble and open and be a learner. Oh, I love that, Tracy. And it also made me think, too, for our guest, it wasn't about their name on the plaque when they left. It wasn't about my name engraved in something. It's about your name. It's not about mine. It's about your name. And all of our leaders showed this in what they said to us, how they lead. And then, Tracy, you're also tapping into growth. I want to talk about growth here in a little bit. And I'm going to go to Linda real quick. I know she's got a comment about what we've discussed so far. One of the things that Tracy said that really resonated was around sustaining the work after the leader leaves. And that was a theme I heard from multiple leaders. And I'm really thinking about Michelle Rodriguez, who actually has left her school district and moved on to another one. But she did what we've talked about, which is build community, build a groundswell so that she's confident the work isn't going to die because there's enough of a commitment in the whole school system, parents, teachers, other administrators, principals, that she views the work as ongoing. And I think that goes back to that initial comment that Tim and I also talked about, which is you've got to involve all the stakeholders in this work because that's what's going to sustain it. And one of the people that I think is doing that from a slightly different direction was Sonia Thomas with Nashville Propel. And she's building that community through working with parents who in turn are then turning their work to their schools. And I just think this common element of building a learning community, a committed community, the message is we can't do this alone. You know, it's kind of trite to say it, but it does take a village. And I really think that came across. And it came across from Sonia, it came across from Risha, another one of our parents, that they are doing this work. And so often in education, we might have seen folks and thought, oh, there's the fired up parent and kind of already had that bias toward the parent that cares so much about their kid. And now we're realizing, no, parents have to be a part of this solution. Sonia and Risha are actually modeling what that looks like. 
Okay, I said I wanted to come to growth because I think that was a common theme that we saw from all of our guests. I know Allison Peck talked about it. Rebecca talked about it. And there were others. I'm going to throw this question to you, Tim, because you are someone in my life that I see as a continual learner and grower. And what does this growth journey look like for leaders? What did our guests teach you? Well, thank you for that compliment. I do my best. What did they teach us? Okay, I'm going to go back to that theme that we just hit on. What I observed was something that came up about this being all hands on deck. And this isn't a top-down initiative. This isn't a top-down moment. What I learned from our guest was those parents, Sonia and Risha, were just as adamant and using their voices and their microphone. And what I learned from both of them was to hold space for them and the communities that they represent. And I've taken that to heart, and I've been supporting and trying to hold that space, not divert it away and back to maybe see my folks or what my perspective is, but to hold space and acknowledge that there's a place and time for parents to have their place and to go from it. I also learned that educator leaders, Michelle Rodriguez and Robert Saleh and Art Cavazos are working very tirelessly to build teams and bring more people to the table and ask those who are gonna be asked to do the work to show up and be part of the planning and the strategy of the work. I thought that was such a humble moment on the part of all those leaders talking about how they involve in meaningful ways and really give agency and power. How disheartening it is to be involved in some type of a facade, a sham, that you think that you're planning collaboratively, then just to find out that there was a closed door meeting that decided everything to begin with. Each of us on this call have been part of something like that multiple times. That isn't leadership, everybody. That's an autocracy. That's a waste of our time. No waste of all the teacher's time. And then I was also reminded that some of the oldest civil rights organizations in our nation are deeply invested in this as a civil rights movement. And that just really stood out to me. So I learned a new appreciation for how for some of us, it is not just what's nice to have. For all of us, it's a mission critical part of life that we have to have. And then we learned from people like Amir Baraka about how when you're left behind by the society and the system, you can, of course, get angry, but you can also empower yourself. But more importantly, from what I've learned from him and others is that we can then mentor and be beacons of light to show the path forward for so many others. And I would say, what Amir does so beautifully is to light through example that his path was his path, but he is going to illuminate and show that it's possible to walk your path to children that come behind him. And I just, I learned so much from all of them about holding place for their voices. Mm, that was beautiful, Tim, the way that you brought that all together. And I'm going to say something here right now, because my dear friend, Amir, he reached out to me last week while some of us were sitting at a conference and he said, okay, send me anything you can about how we learn to read. Because if I am going to hold a place in a space that you're talking about, Tim, he knew he needed to learn how we learn to read. 
because sure, he was journeying through this process himself, but he doesn't know the science. And it just said to me the humility, the vulnerability to say, oh, I better keep doing more in order to make a difference. Yeah. Tracy, I'm going to go to you. Love to just blend in with that comment about Amir Baraka because, you know, Amir could allow his prison experience to define his future, but he has turned his pain into passion and a platform. You mentioned growth, and that's so important for leaders. Dr. Rebecca Tolson, I know personally, she gobbles up everything she can put her hands on to learn. And she said, it's natural to have feelings of guilt, shame, and anger and loss, but we can't stay in that space as educators. I could easily say I would be one that could stay in that space because I didn't know better, so I couldn't do better. But this is an opportunity. Leaders, we can't help teachers grow if we're not growing. And when we are growing, when we're in a position to create sustainable systems of support for educators, then we are closing the jaws of the school to prison pipeline. There are many people who could have come on this podcast who are living it now. Literacy is a human right. And you are champions of that as a human right. I just envision if every school district got this right, what would happen in our nation? What would we look like? What kind of critical thinking would be going on to shape our future collectively? It is the vaccine, if you will, or the antidote that our society desperately needs. And, you know, I also want to reference what Tim talked about, and that is everybody has a voice in this, a stake in the game, and you have a right to use your voice as parents. We had an administrator who welcomes that. Robert Foley values the voices of parents. And for sustainable change, this is absolutely crucial. We can't partner with them effectively if we don't understand what growth looks like, if we don't understand our data. When we can translate the data and tell a parent, here's how your scholar is growing. These are the opportunities to close the opportunity gap for your student. Then we can partner effectively What I've observed is when we don't know, sometimes we can point the finger at the parent or the child or the community they come from, and we end up admiring the problem instead of pursuing solutions. So I just am so grateful for the voices of parents out there who are really holding us accountable collectively for the outcomes for their children. Linda, please add in. Well, this issue, I think, oh, it's so important about growth. I'm going to take that for a moment because it struck me that almost all of our speakers, maybe all of them, had their own journeys of learning. They were developing themselves and building their own knowledge. And I'm particularly struck by Kareem Weaver because he started a journey some years ago where he wanted to learn. What do we do about reading? What do we know about reading? What's the science tied to reading? And he really developed that knowledge, which in turn enabled him to be a lever for change. 
And that harkens to what Tim talked about. Some of the oldest organizations, the NAACP, that Kareem has been working so closely with in Oakland, California, and spreading the word to other NAACPs that started with a personal journey of development for him. And I know that journey is something that these leaders wanted to also develop with the community with whom they work. So that they were building knowledge before they just decided on, here's what we're gonna do. They wanted to build knowledge among teachers, among parents, among other stakeholders. And I think what I valued as a quality was that these were lifelong learners, these leaders. And I think that's an important quality if you are going to lead in any kind of effort that's going to require change. And they were modeling it for other people. I'm growing myself to grow myself, but I'm modeling for other people. I'm not growing myself to be the smartest person in the room. I'm growing myself to model for other people. And I say this about a growth journey too. Never forget who you were when you started. Because if you forget who you were, then you're going to condemn people. You're going to shame people. You're going to look down on people that are starting where you started. These leaders said, no, I'm going to grow myself so I can reach back and grab those people that need to come alongside me. I heard that. I saw that because we know these people that were on this podcast journey with us, and we know that's what they do. Tim, I'm going to you. Well, it reminded me of that beautiful quote that Kareem shared with us. The diameter of your knowledge determines the circumference of your experience. And I would say the first place of knowledge is to know thyself and to know where we came from and to know where we've been. And I heard you saying that loud and clear. I think that was the resonating voices is that we learned how to authentically speak to our communities and to hold space and allow others to speak on behalf of their communities. A savior complex is called a savior complex for a reason. I heard those people loud and clear. They are going to empower themselves to take care of what they need. And how can we support them is a question that they can ask of us and we can ask of ourselves. But most importantly, ain't nobody needing a savior right now. They got it. Tracy, go ahead. Yes. Amen, Brother Tim. And I would say as well, Risha Conroy saying, don't let the language of low expectations or wait to fail become the norm. Oh my goodness. So powerful. I call it the soft classism and racism of the low expectations. So when we look at children and we determine they are not capable, we do need to examine our hearts, Tim. You're exactly right. And really understand we have inherited collective baggage. We have inherited these systems that are producing exactly what they're designed to produce. And so we have to determine the inheritance we want to have and invest in the future. I was with a group of business people and we were talking about AI and I was describing the literacy crisis. And one of them said, well, people aren't going to need to know how to read because of AI. And I had to count to 20. 
because I thought your literacy privilege is in the way. So I would say for leaders at times, we have the literacy privilege of having learned to read easily, or we may have benefited from dyslexia therapy because our parents could afford it. And I would say we all need to examine ourselves and understand our own literacy privilege and envision what it would be like to live without it. It would be like forcing somebody into a dark room. We don't know what's in that room and expect them to navigate it when we have a flashlight. And so that whole mindset piece is huge. I was struck by what you said, Terry, about these leaders and who they are. It isn't that they are learners, they're growing, but they're not growing away from their community. They're not saying, I know all. They're bringing people along. And I think a quality that these leaders shared was they were humble. They admitted in some cases, and I know this was something I believe Michelle Rodriguez said, she used to be a balanced literacy teacher and administrator. And she had to shift and she had to acknowledge that maybe she wasn't doing the right things before. And I think it's that humbleness where you can admit your own faults and your own vulnerabilities that allow the rest of the community to also see that their leaders are just like them. You know, that we're all alike. We've all made mistakes. We've all had to learn. And I think that the ability to be humble, to give grace to the people in your community, to recognize that we didn't know, and that may be part of what went wrong, and that statement that my dear friend, my late friend, Phyllis Hunter, used to always say, when you know better, you do better. And I think that's a quality these leaders all shared. And speaking to that, Linda, I want to bring up a comment, a very practical comment that shows humility, that shows this work is bigger than me. It's not about my name. It's about others. And that was Stephanie Stoller when she talked about why in the world are we not sharing our core syllabi with other professors in higher ed? Why in the world does it have to be, I am the smartest person here? She said, this is about our children. And if a leader is going to show humility and vulnerability, we are going to do what Stephanie talks about. We are sharing with one another. We're sharing the wealth as leaders. Okay, I want to jump to a question and see, was there anything about our conversations that surprised you? That was like, oh, that's good. That wasn't anything that I had thought about before. I think Elsa sharing her own personal pain as someone who experienced the negative effects of how someone who comes bringing a different home language than the mainstream in that particular community. I've actually heard Elsa talk about that. 
but she talked about it with such clear vulnerability. And that personal journey is what propelled her to do the work that she does. And I don't think I necessarily had connected how one's personal experience, even as a child, could be the motivating factor in a lifelong leadership journey. And I think Amir Baraka made that very clear as well, how his personal experience. And I think about Tim's life experiences and how those experiences bring us to a space where we can contribute to others. That struck me as something, it was like I hadn't put two and two together. And that was something that really struck home. And I think we saw that in so many of our leaders. And I see that personally in the work that I do. I know all of you do, but there was something different because of that deep connection. It's almost like a fire in your belly every day that you wake up and this is the work that not only I want to do, I get to do because it means so much to me. Tracy, any thoughts there? Yes. What a privilege to do this work. I also saw a connection between two speakers. That was Dr. Allison Peck, who said that we have to be urgent about the problem and patient about the results. And Dr. Arturo Cavazos, who said that we have to have an appetite for deferred gratification. Now, that doesn't mean that we don't move with a sense of urgency. It means it takes time for systemic change to take hold. So this one-year Band-Aid approach does not change systems. We need to know we're going to have to make mid-course adjustments and be committed to the journey of change. That was something that connected really powerfully for me from a leader in Dr. Peck who comes alongside teachers and leaders to help coach and support them and a superintendent who is living and breathing that mission, now actually coaching other superintendents so that they are equipped to build it to last. That resonated deeply for me. Yeah, I'd love to hear if there was anything that surprised you or follow-up comments to Linda and Tracy. It didn't surprise me, but I think it's worth reminding because in the current zeitgeist in the world that we live in around the science of reading and all the conflict that seems to be out there is just how much humility, especially in our school leaders that we heard, their ability to understand and acknowledge, know themselves and know that it was a team sport that they were playing. And I wouldn't know by looking at my Twitter feed or reading the current news headlines out of the media that our schools are populated by so many leaders and teachers who want to know better so that they can do better at their jobs. And I think that's what didn't surprise me. But I think that if we were to read the headlines and if we were to read what we are told on Twitter, that might surprise a lot of us if we were to be blinded by that source of information. But going to the well and actually doing the work in the field is what drives everybody on this panel. And we may not be in those classrooms every day, 
Many of us have been in those classrooms or in small group settings or in preschool classrooms. We've all been there. I think that we know what it's like to walk the walk. And again, that's what I took away as far as, again, not surprising to me, but how about refreshing and a good reminder of why people are in what they're in and what they're doing and why they're doing it. And Tim, I'm glad you said the word refreshing. So we see it on our social media platforms, in articles, and we talk about the reading wars and we talk about the infighting and all of these things. And it kind of just gets inside of you and you just think there's no hope out there. But you know what? The guests that we had come in, it renewed my hope that we have leaders that are doing this work well. You said it right. It's refreshing. I think that when we get that feeling of hopelessness, we have to look at what these leaders said it will take. This goes to what Tracy said. It's not a one-year effort. You know, people talk about the Mississippi miracle. That was not a miracle. That was hard work over time with many people supporting the work. And I think that was something that I saw in these leaders, a recognition that this was over time. Rebecca talked about this, the importance of professional learning, the importance of building that system of coaches, of treating this as a long-term effort that you know, you can take steps because there was also in these leaders describing what they were doing, a kind of organic process of change. Several of the leaders didn't have every school at the start. They may have started with a few schools. I think Robert Solly talked about that. And then there was this sort of organic quality where other schools said, okay, I want to do this. I want to join this effort. And that goes to that sense of, again, being humble, recognizing that this is a journey that isn't built in a year, and recognizing that you need to keep bringing people along. And I heard that in all of these voices. And I have to say, when we think about what Amir lived through and brings to this conversation, he was showing that same quality, that same recognition. He didn't have to be in a school system. All you have to do is read his book, and that can affect a school system as well. And I actually am working with a school now that is doing a book study with Amir's book. He may not even know how he's impacting schools and systems. And I think that some of these leaders, all, that humility is also shown in not realizing the impact they've had. Oh, Linda, Linda, that's huge talking about the impact and the humble leader doesn't need the recognition either. Yeah, love it. Tracy, go ahead. Linda, picking up the thread of what you shared so beautifully, it's always getting down to the bottom of our why. 
And each of the wonderful people who have been a part of this podcast had a compelling why. One of the reasons I said yes to this was because of the people I'm connected with right here. You are iron that sharpens my iron. I think great leaders help people get to their why. They can bring the best out of people. And sometimes educators are so overwhelmed. They are in initiative overload. And as leaders, we need to set the table. So people want to sit down at this table because their why is on the table. Each of the wonderful individuals who have been highlighted took what could have made them bitter and determined it would not just make them better, but the world around them better. And I think about the purpose of this podcast is really to give leaders the ability to help people have access to the power of words spoken, read, and written. And when we have access to words, they're containers of power that live beyond us. You know, if I get hit by a beer truck tomorrow, this podcast is potentially the vehicle for somebody to hear something that captivates them and keeps them engaged in doing what will help our precious treasures, our children. Beautifully said, Tracy. I always like to say when you know how words work, words work. Tim, I'm going to go to you. All those beautiful words from my colleagues and friends just reminded me of something. Somebody came up to me in tears at an event last week, and she just said, do you know how many lives you saved? And I would ask our listeners, do you know how many lives you've saved by opening yourselves up to the possibility of realizing that life you save might just be your own by empowering yourself and seeking the resources you need to do the work that drives your soul. How many lives have you saved? We always remember our teachers. Always remember our teachers. Okay, friends, let me tell you what, this has been a journey. And we wouldn't be good educators if we didn't have an exit ticket. If we didn't have that thing, what are we taking? I need to hear from each of you. Is there anything that you're going to take away from this series that you're going to apply, that you're going to change, that you're going to teach to someone else? Share with our audience. What is the thing that's going to hang with you? Linda. Hope. That's what I take from this. Hope that there are so many people that are doing what Tim just talked about, which is making a difference, saving a life, saving our society, saving our world. And I take away a sense of profound hope from these conversations. And I hope our listeners feel that same sense of hope. Tracy. Here we go. He had the chance to sharpen my saw intellectually at a wonderful conference last week. And in one of the sessions, one of my favorite people on earth, I just adore Dr. Julie Washington. She empowered me to reframe these reading wars. That's no longer in my vocabulary. This is a loving revolution that is about our community. 
And I thank every single guest who came on this podcast, Terry Noland, for your beautiful leadership, your grace in bringing us into this space. What a privilege to be a part of a loving and righteous movement and revolution that will live beyond us. That's my big takeaway. Mm, Thank you, Tracy. Tim, what you taking away? So I felt like I'd already had a pretty broad view of life in the world, but I would say that by holding space and time to give the microphone to all those people that joined us and lent their voices to us, it expanded my understanding of what is possible and what we can achieve by sharing space and working as a team and viewing everybody as having a perspective worth sharing and a value to add to this work that we're all doing. I think that's what it is. I just expanded my worldview just so much and it helped me understand how I can be a better ally and hold space for others and not take their space or their thunder. Thank you, Tim. I think my takeaway in all of this, and uh, this comes off the heels of being at a conference last week, but from the stage, there were the greats, Dr. Louisa Motes, Dr. Julie Washington, Dr. Hugh Katz, Dr. Jack Fletcher, so many greats. And something that was profound as a common thread between them was, we have been saying the same thing. We have been standing on this science about how our brains learn to read for 25 plus years, for 30 years, we've been saying the same thing. So I had to say to myself, well, then why are we where we are today? If this is what has been known for 25, 30 years, what is the missing component? There has to be a missing component. And I think I figured it out. We have to have leaders leading this work well. Because I'm not saying that none of these individuals weren't leaders in their own right, but I'm talking about the revolution of people, our principals, our superintendents that are leading this work. We're not leading from a place of position. We're leading from a place of truth, of influence, of integrity, of all the things that we have seen from these individuals throughout this podcast. So I think that might be my big takeaway and the hope that Linda talks about. Well, let me tell you what, listeners, this has been a journey and it has been an incredible journey, a journey that included the faith, the hope, the love that we see what it means to lead well and step into this moment of revolution that our friend, Dr. Julie Washington talks about. We are on the precipice of doing something big. Friends, we want you to lead well. We want you to lead large. And we hope that you have enjoyed this series with sincere gratitude, with just praise and thanks and a round of applause for our dear Linda Diamond, Dr. Tam Odegaard, and Dr. Tracy Whedon. Love you, friends. Thank you so much for being a part of this mini-series. We hope you found it inspiring and insightful. Remember, our community at Learning Ally is more than just this podcast. It's a vibrant, supportive network of peers and like-minded individuals who share passions and interest in advancing and understanding evidence-based literacy instruction. By joining our community, you'll unlock a world of opportunities. 
You'll be part of a space that offers exclusive content and discussions to fuel your growth. Networking opportunities with renowned thought leaders, colleagues, and peers, and a platform that supports and encourages you to share your ideas, experiences, and insights. We're inviting you to take the next step and become an active member of our community. Your voice matters, and we can't wait to hear that voice. It's easy to get started. Simply click the community link in the podcast description. Your presence and contributions will make our community stronger and more vibrant. We're truly grateful that you are here. Thank you for listening today, and we can't wait to welcome you into the community. Remember, none of us are alone in this journey, and we're here to support one another every step of the way. Until next time, stay connected, stay inspired, and stay a part of our wonderful community.